think it's so funny because I feel like this is the first time I'm actually like seeing you without your mask and it's like mm. kind of funny because it's like I'm so <laughs> used to just seeing like your eyes and your hat <laughs> it's hilarious yeah like the Al Borland thing right? yeah pretty much yeah it's it's interesting <laughs> it's like it's I remember your face from just like the interviews but like it was just so interesting like when you meet people and then you don't even see their face for the longest but like you like vibe with them like I I've always enjoyed working with you it's been such a pleasure like even just getting to know you and I love our conversations I work so much I just had to bring you on the pot I was like everybody needs to meet Stan I'm like oh you're so awesome but I'm curious Dan like what got you interested in engineering like what made you go into technology I kind of started down the road of wanting to get into game development and um, so I was, I, I decided to go back to school to try and pursue a career in game development. And um, just in looking at what were the typical paths um, from where I was to, you know, a career as a game designer, for example, uh, it seemed like there was two typical paths. There was um, like you were either part of the, the art team um doing digital media or you were part of the engineering team programming and <clears throat> typically it would be an individual that had worked up to being like a lead of one of those teams so like a lead programmer in a in a studio would then transition to being like the game designer which is what long term I was thinking that I wanted to do because um it's kind of the the person with the big picture vision that uh coordinates coordinates between the two teams um to kind of bring the big picture uh vision to life and and i i felt like between just interpersonal skills and and the way that m my brain works like i i very much am big picture oriented more so than like i suppose detail oriented and um so it just seemed like a good career, like it seemed like it would fit my personality. And so I was looking at the past to get there. And um, it just seemed like if I went and got a computer science degree, uh, that was going to leave a lot more avenues open to me if, if say, it was too difficult to get into uh, the game development. I could go use that degree as, as an engineer, as a software engineer, a lot of different ways. Uh, and it seemed like it left me a lot more options than if I went to the Art Institute and um, went the digital media side. It just seemed like that that was a very narrow um, path. And so, so yeah, so I went back to school for computer science. And, and um, I think I found in the process that I really just enjoy problem solving. I feel like that's really what it comes back to, right? It's like, I feel like I think that's what engineers love in general is like the fact that you actually get to solve a problem and actually figure out like, how do you break it down into something that's actually feasible from like something that's really huge? I guess, do you have like your favorite video games that you like to play seeing that you had like a, a passion for video games or are you like unbiased and you're like, I love them all? uh no i am i am kind of particular that there's certain genres that i don't i don't really touch and there are certain genres i like and since it, you know a kid since a little one um i've really enjoyed uh sports games i've played madden for so many years that series has gone on for forever um and uh, I, i've always liked racing games racing games sports games and um kind of more in my adult life i guess i've gotten into shooters sweet do you play rocket league uh, I love it because I feel like it's like the, I feel I, that's the one I'm like totally totally addicted to at the moment. But um, I feel like it's a cross between my two favorites, like sports and racing games. Like you have the car, you have all like the me car mechanics um, in a sports game. So it's like it's like a cross between my two my two faves. Rocket League just seems so hard. Like I remember one time I was like when I was an intern I got to see like the accessibility gaming room that they make for to allow and see like how can they make like gaming more accessible to people with different you know abilities and mm. it is crazy like to see like how they're able to make this game that even like if you have no mobility in your hands you can still play and like beat someone that's like <laughs> completely able like it is so insane I feel like People that are good at Rocket League, I don't even know how you guys get it in the goal. It just, like, seems so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. 
it's definitely one that keeps you coming back. I think all the best games are seem really, really hard at first. Uh, yeah. I know. Like I, I, it's interesting. Like I feel like I get more entertainment like watching people play Fortnite. Like it, I enjoy it more than like watching shows on Netflix. It's wild. Like it's so interesting, <laughs> <laughs> and that's so funny. Like the commentaries, I be bugging out. It's ridiculous. <laughs> But I'm curious, like, where did you study CS and what was like the programming language that you were first introduced to? Did you also have to write Hello World and do all that, all that jazz? Yeah, so um, I actually started, um, it, it made a lot of sense for me financially to try and knock out some of the prereqs at, at a community college. And Smart, um, actually, so smart. That's really the way to go. That's the, really the secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the time, I was actually living in, in El Paso, Texas. And so cool. um, I started at El Paso Community College and took like my first three uh, semesters there they did semesters um, which honestly after transferring up here and doing quarters I actually preferred the semesters it just it felt like we had more time so I did my first three semesters there about a year and a half and like the introductory programming courses like uh, you know programming 101 102 103 that kind of stuff and it was all in Java um, and it mm. was uh, data structures control structures yeah, I was I was surprised at, at how much I enjoyed it. I it was one of those where I was reading chapters ahead in the textbook and and you know writing programs like in my spare time that weren't incredible. I hated my EX courses. <laughs> like CS was so hard. Like I swear I would be just up at night, just miserable that I couldn't get this euchre game coded. I mean, I'm telling you, all Michigan students know the trauma of euchre. <laughs> <laughs> Now for a message from our sponsors. Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you are enjoying this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. It 100% helps us grow this podcast and get our message out there to help and inspire others. Have thoughts or opinions you want to share? Join the conversation on Anchor or on Spotify. I love to hear from you all, and I can't thank you enough for your support. With that, let's get back to the good stuff. From El Paso Community College, I was going to move back to Washington just because of the industry here. And I was I was raised here in Washington, and um, so all my family and friends were here. And it just made so much sense with the University of Washington, with all the industry here, to, to move back to Washington, um, finish up my undergrad here, and then, you know, have much more opportunity for placement after. So... After those first three semesters, I actually transferred to Bellevue College and finished an associates there, which guaranteed admission to UW, not not to the program, but to the school. Um, and so then I transferred to UW Bothell from Bellevue College and then um, finished up. Sweet. I guess, like, how was it growing up in Washington? Like, I guess, like, we're, how was it, I guess, even seeing, like, the industry develop, like, in the state because i feel like i could imagine like how washington was maybe before all the big tech companies came in and like you know established their footprint and all these transplants showed up uh, <laughs> like i'm curious like how how was it well uh that's funny so i don't think that i was really aware of of, of that uh, aware of what industry we had here when i was younger right interesting um, and that was more like adult life decisions, I think, um, especially because I went back to school a little bit later. I had a bit of a, a gap. It was good in that I knew exactly what I wanted to do and was focused. Um, but but as far as like back to your question, <laughs> where I can answer that is like just in my hobbies and like what I've seen happen to the things that I like to do. So like I grew up about a about a half an hour, just over a half an hour away from Stevens Pass. And I 
spend all of my winters, uh, you know, the entire winter skiing, snowboarding. And that, that was truly my first love of snowboarding. And, and, um, I've seen that go from a mom pa ski resort to, um, it's changed hands several times to large corporations, um, first, uh, Harbor resorts. And then now it's Vail. And every time they do exactly what Vail's doing right now, where they just dump $17 million into lift updates and stuff. And they put this money into trying to update the resort. They want it to be a destination resort, um, but they don't, no one solved infrastructure for that particular resort. So it doesn't have the hotels and parking that, you know, a destination resort should have. And so this um, is true. they just don't have the infrastructure. I mean, I've gone, it's taken the fun out of it. I've gone, got there, at, you know, whatever, you get a slow start, you get there an hour late. And um, I've not been able to find a parking spot. I've turned around and driven home. Um, so really, guess, that is wild. That's wild. I've seen the number of people recreating in the outdoors in the area that I grew up in just explode. Um, hiking trails and ski resorts and things, you know. And that's great. I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that's great that that people are getting out there and you know enjoying the natural world, but. You know, Washington definitely is a state that doesn't have a lot of acres of public land per capita. So, yeah, there's been some crowding with with the industry that we have here, for sure. I feel that's so interesting. I will agree. Like the drive to Stevens, like at first, because I drive out of Kirkland and at first it's like, you know, cool. And then like the the like the next 30 minutes before you reach your destination it like the landscape completely changes. You go from no snow to like like you're in the middle of a blizzard. Yeah. You see these tiny cars with no snow change trying to get up there and you're just like where are you going with this little car, bro? Like <laughs> and then obviously they get stuck and then you see like all of these like snow plows and like police trying to help people. I remember one time we went and Literally, when we left, like, the entire lane to go towards the resort was blocked just because they had so many car crashes of people just mm. trying to get there, and they couldn't. <laughs> it yeah. was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. I, so, it's funny you say that about it just, like, totally changing. I think that's what I what I first, like, kind of fell in love with is, like, a kid. When I was, like, five, my dad would take me skiing and you know, I'd fall asleep in the truck and wake up and open my eyes and it's like a completely different world, right? Yeah, um, it, 100%. Yeah. You would be like, no way. There's this much snow here. You're like, there's no way. You're like, I just saw the ocean like an hour ago. This isn't right. But it's that ev elevation gain. It's, it's, it is so insane. And for me, like I will say, when I grew up on the island, I used to think like, oh, we have mountains, you know, with our little <laughs> hills. And then I came out here and I was like, oh, that's what they mean when they say mountain. <laughs> I see now. Different, different. Yeah. I guess like, no. what is your favorite part about the like the outdoors here in Washington? Because I agree, like that's definitely my favorite part of the state is like, how beautiful all the trails are and like all of the different things that you can see. I'm curious, like what is your experience? Like what do you have your favorite trails? Like I love Lake 22, but I'm a little biased there. You know, uh, that's, that's kind of a tough one for me because I grew up here. So like, I, I love the climate and, and I don't know that, that someone who, who comes from, somewhere else, you know, someone born in Montana might not feel the same way, but, um, but I love the climate. So like, it, it is beautiful and there is so much to do and so much to see, but beyond that, you can do it right. Like, like in Texas, I lived in Texas for a few years and it was so hot that like, and maybe that's where the video game stuff came from, you know, where I like really started to dive into video games. It's like, that's all I could do was sit in the AC and like play some video games. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you're not doing a whole lot. If it's 113 degrees, you're probably not, you're probably not making it too far on a hike. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I see what you mean. So the climate's agreeable and it, it is, it's just, it's beautiful. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, there's fishing, hiking, hunting, skiing, you know, it, it's all here and you can do it. I feel I definitely like 
I remember when you told me you were a hunter. I'm like, ooh, the vegans, they're not going to like the rest of this conversation. <laughs> vegans, vegans, beware. Um, but yeah, I remember when you were talking about like uh, your experiences hunting and I was just so like in awe because low key, there's like a part of me that's like, if I have to prepare for the apocalypse, can I find food? And I know I'm like, no girl, you cannot. You have never even killed a fish. Like how are you gonna go out and find you food? And I like have such mad respect for hunters, but I feel like it's an opinion that I've had that's changed because at least like growing up on the island, we don't really hunt, you know, like mm -hmm. the island's only so big. I don't know what you would be hunting really. I mean, I think people like we fish, some people mm -hmm. like go and they like, well, you know, like get conch shells or wilks or mm -hmm. maybe, maybe some people eat iguanas. I don't even think that that's super popular, but it's like, we don't really do too much hunting. So like when you grow up, all you hear about are like these Americans that they go and they hunt, you know, innocent rhinos in the Savannah and everyone's just like, oh my God, these people are so terrible, like screw hunters. But at the same time, it's like, I realized that hunters actually have their role in like the food chain and like people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is like, just ecosystem control and like the reason that I feel like there are hunting seasons is primarily to help like control population of different species but I'm curious like how did you get into hunting and I guess like what is your uh worldview as a hunter given like I feel like all the flack that hunters get which I think is a bit of misunderstanding and miscommunication yeah yeah so it it's funny, I was thinking about that a little bit in in anticipation of this, you know, this conversation. I was I was kind of thinking about that. And it seems like when I s sit and look back, like reflect now, it seems like it's just it was the next logical step in my progression as as like an outdoorsman. I I grew up, you know, at, at a young age, I drowned power bait and worms in the lake for for fish and I, that didn't really hold my interest i didn't have the patience for fishing as far as like just drowning bait in a lake for for rainbow trout but when i got older someone introduced me to bass fishing and and then i was fishing with uh, artificial lure and it, it it introduced this whole new challenge of like how to present an artificial lure in in a mm -hmm. way and between the the skill set of like presenting that artificial lure and the physical activity of just cast and retrieve, that was enough that I had the patience for that. I like really enjoyed it. And from there to fly fishing and from fly fishing to now um, bow hunting. And so it kind of just seems like the next logical step, but the way that it actually happened is kind of funny because uh, what is my wife now at, at the time, you know, was my girlfriend and we were watching game of Thrones and, she made some offhand remark about, you know, being an Arya Stark or something. She made some comment that, that prompted me to ask her, like, well, should, you know, should we get bows and take up archery and, and bow hunting? And, like, kind of kidding. And then she was like, yeah, let's do it. And so, like, a month later, I bought her an $800 Bowtech bow for her birthday. Wow. Like, we were off and running because um, as soon as I shot her bow, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to get a bow myself. And and so I I got a bow. I actually um, just got a hand-me-down bow. My dad had bought one years ago that he passed to my brother. My No one had really used it, but this bow had been kicking around for 10 years or something. And, um, so anyways, once I got uh, my hands on a bow, I took to it the way that I do anything. I, I like, really... I want to be the best at it and I want it to happen overnight. And so like, I really dove in, like it's been consuming. So like I say, I love snowboarding. I love fishing, but since taking up bow hunting and archery three years ago, it's pretty much consumed any spare time that I have. So wicked. Can you shoot like a bullseye? Like just you're like aim, shoot fire and you get bullseye every time. Like how cold are you at this it depends on how far away I am. Okay, really. okay. Out to about 50 yards or 150 feet or so, yes. Skills, um, yeah, skills. Yeah, within, within an inch or so of where I'm aiming, yeah. That's um, dope. Out to about 50 yards. But beyond that, um, I don't, I, it starts to degrade beyond that. 
what's interesting is like there was this you know this comment about Arya Stark and then you know me kind of joking with the wife and then it all just kind of snowballed um but the truth is i was already toying with this idea of wanting to provide um you know local sustainably sourced organic non-gmo protein for my family love and it love at it. the same time divorce try to be self-sufficient and you know like you're talking about prepping for the apocalypse like it being self-sufficient and building the skill set and and at the same time divorcing from factory farming and inherent methane production like there's just so much to there's so much that a person can grab a hold of i was already kind of toying with this idea of like really wanting to do that so all it took was her being in like even remotely interested and and i dove on it and even now it's hard for me to like say one thing like this is why i'm into this because like i say there's so much to to grab a hold of and you even touched on it um you know participating in in the north american model of conservation and the truth is like suburban sprawl is a thing and it's only going one direction like we're not making more land but we are making more people and there has to be there has to be a balance like it's nice to be able to have these wilderness areas and these places that we want to say this this little section will stay unimpeded by man but they're going to be little sections right because we're only we're only growing outward and there is a need for management and you know i do believe in in science based management and i i do believe in managing our wildlife as a public um renewable resource that you know can be harvested as long as the science uh backs that up um that it's that it's a resource that can be used and and should be used for your family no i love that i love that so much i think like it's so beautiful the way that you framed it because i really feel like like hunters and i'm sure like there's different calibers of hunters and i'm curious like what is like the stigma when you're in like you know hunting communities but i think it's so beautiful the way that you framed it because it is really truly about providing your family a source of protein that you know is healthy and you know is not a part of this like mass production of meat that to me is so inhumane like it's just so terrible like how we butcher animals and don't even care at all about like their experience of life and being and how that affects the meat that we are then consuming given the fact that it has all these hormones and these animals are under so much stress all the time. Like, what do you think that that's going to do to us when we eat that meat versus an animal that's out in the wild, it's living its life, it's, you know, agile because it's out, you know, not fighting off natural predators. And then you come and you just kill it, the one animal, you butcher it completely all the way down. You make sure that you're taking, you know, all of the meat and even if you don't consume it for yourself, like you give it to people or you leave the rest for like the other animals in the food chain that can feed off of that source. But I feel like people don't always get that. Like they think that people are just out there killing animals because they get the pleasure out of like killing the animal. And it's like, no, like that, 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 you're, that you're a psycho if you get pleasure out of it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a little different. Yeah, that's that's something that that no one tells you when you sign up for this journey is that in order to be successful as far as like harvest harvest something as a bow hunter, you have to you have to understand the animal that that you're pursuing. I mean, especially bow hunting because you need to be like i said 50 yards you know what i mean i I, i've taken one deer in in that three years um just this past year and that was at like less than 10 yards that was like seven yards um so it's a very intimate experience and you need to understand the animal to to just be able to put yourself in that position and the more you understand the animal, the more you admire them. And I think that's, I think, I think that there's this um, idea in people's minds of what a fisherman is and, and what a hunter is. And, and I think that for a fisherman, it's that guy in the boat that hooks a worm on the hook, throws it in the lake, cracks a beer and waits for a fish to bite it. And, and that 
I, w I wasn't in love with that idea. I didn't have the patience for that kind of fishing. And I think that for hunting, I think it's Elmer Fudd. I think it's the redneck blasting his shotgun around the neighborhood, you know, chasing deer. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just, you know, I, I think that, I think that especially people that, that do live in, in a large city and maybe don't engage in, in the outdoors, they, they just don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. Um, but, but they're, in order to pursue um, pursue game in this way, you do have to understand the game, and you do admire and respect the animal. And with that admiration comes at harvest time. It's it's not it's not a fun thing. Like like you said, no one that is doing this like enjoys the <clears throat> the actual harvesting of an animal i i enjoy the pursuit i'm not gonna lie about that like it is challenging it, it is i feel like it's kind of like man versus wild it's like in our dna to have like that i feel like adrenaline of hunting mm. an animal because it's yeah. a part of like our evolution you know this is how humans survive before we right. all got lazy like right yeah um no there's there's uh there's definitely there's definitely uh, enjoyment and adrenaline in, in that pursuit and in, in just trying to trying to overcome the challenge in front of you right like I think I think achievement is like one of the major motivators for people for different you know one of the things that might motivate a person to do certain things and if you're able to take a deer with a bow I, it is an achievement it is it is I've learned that bow hunting is like one of the most challenging undertakings that that you know I've participated in I was surprised at just how difficult it is I can only imagine because like with a gun it's easy you just pull the trigger pow pow you know dead um but with a bow like you really have to factor in wind and like force and making sure that it's accurate because you also don't want to make the animal suffer like you don't want to hit it and then it's like still alive and trottling through the woods and now you got to track it and hope mm -hmm. that it dies eventually so that you mm -hmm. can you know really put it out of its misery which is like it, it takes so much effort and i feel like people because they don't understand it and it's easy to kind of write people off in like a box and say like you all fit this stereotype people forget like that relationship that man has with hunting and it's not like something that was super easy and that's the reason why we moved to you know mass production was because people did not have time to be mm. out in the woods hunting their food every day you know yeah but i'm curious yeah. like how does hunting season work like how do you like i'm assuming it's different for different animals but i guess like for the animals what are the main like wild game that you pursue because i'm familiar with venison which is aka deer meat which i didn't know that until i moved to america <laughs> But I'm curious, like, what other forms of wild game do you hunt? I did see elk, and those are some big-ass animals. Like, damn, you could ride an elk through the streets. But, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm actually really glad that you asked that because um, that actually touches on what we were talking about with the stereotype stuff and, and maybe just lack of understanding, too. Like, um, I think that maybe some people are even surprised to learn that there are regulations and that, that this is very restricted and regulated and that it has you to be done. You can't just walk out in the woods and shoot an animal and take it. Like they will come right. for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's not just the, the rednecks are blasting their guns through the woods any day they want and any, at anything they want. Like it is, it is very regulated and it, you're right. It does, it does depend on what, um, what type of game you're, you're pursuing. So this past year I bought tags for, um, deer, elk, bear, cougar, and turkey or small game with turkey tags. And that's for Washington state. And then I bought a black bear tag for Alaska, um, I, I feel didn't like most actually... people would hear a bear and they'll be like, "You're killing the teddy bears," but I we'll get into that because I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious about the bear meat too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I didn't at this past season. I actually didn't fill any of my tags. Um, I did. I spent a few days hunting. I, so this was my first season um, elk hunting, and so 
again, there's a really steep learning curve on this. Um, you have to understand the animals. I didn't uh, going into the season. I I knew everything that I could cram to try and know about elk and elk hunting, but until you get out there and do it, um, it's 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 difficult, especially with a bow. They're athletes. Like, they are some athletic animals, I must say. I was really surprised. I was like, wow, this is a horse. Like, what is going on? Yeah, and that forest horse takes about three steps and is gone. Like, it, they move quickly. So, like, yeah, they're very aware. Like, I remember I saw one in Oregon and I was just walking through the woods and they were like staring us down. Like, we see you. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just here, gentle, gentle. <laughs> I actually thought it was going to be, I thought that elk hunting would be easier. And so that this season, my, my, um, my priority was going to be elk hunting and the seasons overlap. So like, uh, for, for archery hunting in Washington state, um, for deer, you get, you get an early season and a late season. Actually, it's the same for both deer and elk. Um, there's an early season and a late season. And I should say real quick on the cougar tag. It's sort of the bear tag, but mainly just the cougar tag. I really just bought that uh, for two reasons. One, they sell tags as like you get a discounted price if you buy a deer, elk, bear, cougar, you know, and then a, package, a small game. I feel you. Yeah. Um, so I bought it because it was it was cheaper just to buy the whole bundle of tags. And then also I like having the tag just on the off chance that I'm hunting deer and I have a encounter with a cougar. If if I feel threatened, then I I'm able to like let's say that there was a I was genuinely in danger for my life and I take this cougar. If I have a cougar tag in my pocket, I don't have to have the whole investigation about whether or not I was justified in taking the cougar. I can just put my tag on it and be done with it. And so I I prefer That's that. Very and, smart. Yeah. And so for this season, my priority was going to be um, trying to take an elk with my bow. Um, and so you get you get like 12 days in September for elk. And that's it. I mean, it's 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 12 days. And then that's the early season. There is a late season. I didn't late season archery hunt for elk. Um I did do a little bit of late season archery hunting for deer and deer is different. So deer, you get the entire month of September and then you get, um, depending on like what area you're hunting in, it's all broken down into a million different management areas. And all of those different areas have different, um, regulations because they're managing for what the population is actually like in that local region of the state so um depending on what area you live in you basically get the month of september for early archery season for deer and the month of december for uh late season elk there's 12 days in september and then i think there's another 10 days in november um i don't recall exactly but but it's a very short season for elk and it's probably the most desirable as far as like game that people chase just because like you said they're so large um if you take an elk you're 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 going your fees your freezer is going to be pretty full for a while yeah exactly Some lean healthy protein right there <laughs> it's also regarded as one of the better tasting uh i know joe rip, rogan you know, like meat. his yeah. his elk just grill with some salt or something like that. yeah so um, so sorry, priority was elk, uh, and then, um, deer. And then I had the, the bear trip that I, that I took to Alaska. Uh, yeah. Tell me about the bear, the bears, because I feel like hunting, okay. Hunting an elk and a deer seems like, you know, if I was a beginner hunter, that seems like, you know, where I would focus. That's what at least Will wants to hunt. Will comes also from a hunting family, which was news to me because Again, my family don't hunt. So when I saw like deer antlers for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, they shot that. Like, oh, my gosh, like this is <laughs> so different. Um, but yeah, like bears, like I didn't even know that you could hunt a bear other than to like hunt it for like the fur, which I feel is like, I mean, as a foreigner, oh. you just see on like TV, you know, like the bearskin rugs yeah. and like rich people just laying on there. <laughs> You know, I didn't know like you ate a bear. So how how does bear eating work? 
Okay, so uh, another really good question, actually. Um, th there is a misconception here as well, um, for sure. So it really depends. Um, it it really kind of depends on the bears, the particular bear's diet, right? So mm. um, in Washington State, uh, we have black bears. There are a couple of grizzly bears on the Canadian border that kind of um, work back and forth across the border. Which ones the are the mean so, ones? The grizzly? Or is it the well, brown? Well, that's actually kind of tricky, too, because um, brown bears or grizzly bears, and the, the distinction there is really just whether it's coastal or not. So mm. um, people will refer to a brown bear that lives on the coast as a coastal brown bear. And like inland, like, say, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, they would be referred to as grizzly bears. and um, so as far as like mean grizzly bears are w way larger, much larger. Um, there isn't, there isn't a predator that takes, you know, a large male grizzly bear. Like he's the top aside from us. Right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, grizzly bears or brown bears, they're they're much larger. They could inflict much more damage. And just because you're larger, it comes with that attitude, right? Of like, like I, I'm the king. Like, there isn't, I'm it. I'm the top. And so as far as like, get, the reason I mentioned that is like fight or flight, right? Like, if you get into a situation where a brown bear has to make a decision between fight or flight, being that it's the the top of the chain, aside from us, it might be more prone to make the fight choice um, than, say, a black bear. Especially in Washington, our black bears are not very large. They are most times going to choose flight. I'm still trying to see a bear out here. I'm like, where are they hiding? Uh, Washington's so tough because it's so thick. I know. I'm like, they're just chilling in the woods. They don't even need to come out here. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, but that said, I think that there has probably been more attacks and I'd, I haven't fact checked this, but it just seems like there's been more incidents with black bears where people have been injured or fatally injured, um, because they're, they're less predictable, right? Like mm. that, that big bad mamma jamma brown bear like he's a slow moving predictable animal for the most part but and i'm just kind of painting in broad strokes right like i actually just listened to a podcast where two hunters got jumped by a a sow a sow grizzly bear last hunting season in wyoming yeah i think it was wyoming and it was and so just this past year they're walking through the woods they're hunting elk um, they're glassing off to the right. There's a ridge off to their left. And so they have like a cliff on their left-hand side. So they're not really expecting any animals to be coming from the left. And, uh, a sow with cubs was, you know, somewhere off to their left. And the way he described it was that it took about one and a half seconds for him to go from the understanding that there is no bear around us to there's a grizzly bear eating my friend i'm just mentioning that story to say that you know i'm i don't know the statistics but i think that maybe black bears are less predictable and maybe there's more um encounters and especially if you get into states like alaska where the bear the black bears are much larger um i mean yeah i saw i saw some black bears that were that were very large and that were very intimidating and um was in was in a few mean mugging you across the lake just like don't you dare shoot me <laughs> no i mean like snapping teeth and like not wow. across, like like 20 yards away and snapping teeth and making the decision of whether to run at us or away from us uh, kind of stuff Ooh, that is that's intense i'd been like a mama yeah they i didn't can mean be to be out here so um so real quick on i'll just say on the two hunters that got attacked by the sow um the the guy who didn't get knocked to the ground at first um he had a rifle and he shot the bear the bear spun around and charged him 
and then his friend got up and shot the bear with a um, pistol, and then the bear turned and didn't attack the friend. And so they, they both lived. The The first guy who, who did get attacked, he lost his thumb on one hand, and he, he got, they both, they both got beat up a little bit. Wild. That's a story, though. You know, that's a, it's a cool story to at least if you lose a thumb. You can at least say a bear took it. You right? know? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like at least in the silver lining. Cool story. <laughs> yeah. I guess like I remember you were telling me that based on what the bear eats, oh, they taste different. Yes. Yeah, I got kind of sidetracked on. No, like, no, what, it's all good. I love all this because I'm uh, like, ah, yeah, tell me more. So in Washington, um. All of our we we mostly have black bears, and there are maybe a few grizzly bears that move back and forth across the border from Canada. Our black bears uh, primarily feed on berries. Um, a bear that is feeding on berries tastes different than a coastal brown bear eating salmon in Alaska. I haven't personally eaten a brown bear that's that's eating salmon in Alaska, but I've been told like don't do it like don't don't take that bear because you won't eat it and i very much was raised that if you do kill it if you kill it you eat it like that's that's that was what my dad said to us you know and so i haven't flirted with that with that idea of like taking a brown bear that eats a bunch of salmon because everyone tells me you know with all the fish oil like it just it doesn't you won't be able to eat it um <clears throat> i've seen like i've seen episodes of tv shows like meat eater he did an episode where he was hunting black bear in the um oh, i forget the name of the mountain range in in alaska it's uh near anchorage um but anyways he, he uh took a black bear that was eating blueberries you know, and, and the episode I think is titled the sweetest meat, you know, and, and so I think that if you take a black bear that's eating berries, I think that it's going to, it has a much different taste to the meat than if you take a bear that's eating salmon. How do you know, like what the diet is though? Like, how would you know when you're hunting it, that this is a berry eating bear versus a fish eating bear? Well, you don't exactly. And actually, I should touch on that. What I said about, you know, local, sustainably sourced, organic, you know, non-GMO. If if you're hunting whitetail that are eating, that are feeding in the wheat field in, you know, Spokane or whatever, um, if that wheat field is not organic and not you know, is GMO, then that whitetail is not organic, right? Like, so location, time of year, um, those are big ones. And then also it kind of gets back to, you sort of have to understand the animal and, and understand their habits a little bit just to be in a position to, to harvest one where you're going to find them is where they feed. Right. So okay, like, okay. so especially with bears, like, um, you're probably you're probably going to find that bear coming to berries or coming to fish you know what i mean or I coming see, to to eat asparagus on the shoreline or crabs and shellfish they do that quite a bit too uh, i so. guess like the actual harvesting process do you do it like on site after the animal is down or do you like hoist the animal drag it out the woods, which I assume is its own headache, and then break it down somewhere else. Maybe not in the woods, you know. There's a couple different ways to to do that, especially when you talk about elk, um, because you, you know there are like that's elk. a big animal to be dragging through the woods. <laughs> right, right. There are elk that that get to a thousand pounds. There's a couple different ways to do it. Um, in every way, you're not you're not carrying any organs that you're not planning to to eat, right? Um, so you might take heart and liver, or maybe some people even spleen. But you might take a few organs, but 
basically that's a lot of weight. So um, field dressing would be the first thing that you do, and that's just going to be removing organs and, and stomach, and that's going to be a lot of weight right there. So if you took a smaller deer, you might just field dress it and just remove organs with exception to whatever you're going to bring home. Like if you want the heart, um, then you might you might bring that. But you're going to remove a lot of the weight, and then you pack the deer out from there. Um, depending on the size of the animal, there there's another method called the gutless method where um, people will skin and remove the four quarters rather than removing the organs. So um, like if you've ever cleaned a fish, that would be like field dressing. So if instead you filleted the fish and you left all of the organs that you would typically remove if you were cleaning a fish, that would be like the gutless method. So it's sort of like whether you take the fillets or whether you remove the organs and bring the rest of the fish. I see. Do you have a preference? I'm still fairly inexperienced, but uh, right now, it, my preference is just uh, what... So my sole motivator is the meat for the freezer. So I don't care so much about, like you said, that that hide or that rug um so i would whatever is going to be the easiest way to get that meat to the freezer that's what i would prefer sweet sweet i guess like are so, so hunting season hasn't started at least for this year but it will be soon i feel like when this comes out so i guess like what are you most excited for this hunting season oh my gosh that's so hard to answer because Right now, um, because it's the off season, because um, they're, you know, right now it's just if you're if you're an ethical bow hunter, you're just shooting your bow and making sure that you're dialed. There, believe me, there's guys that just pull it out and blow the dust off it, and away we go. Um, but there are guys that are shooting their bows right now to make sure they're ready for this fall. Um, so, because it's the off season right now, all I can think about is spring turkey. Which is so funny because you hear so you hear you hear so many people like, oh, it's such a dumb bird. Um, but yeah, because Americans have been eating them on the regular every year, and they still haven't learned anything. <laughs> I would challenge anyone that believes that to grab a bow and go try and get themselves a turkey. I guess that's all I'll say about that. Um, but Lol. so. <laughs> right now, um, all I can think about is spring turkey because that's going to start here April 15th um, through May 31st. And um, so we don't really have turkeys on the west side of the mountains. We we do. So I shouldn't say that we do, but they're further south. Um, so like I live on the northwestern quadrant of our state. And so I would have to travel a, a lot further south than I would have to travel east um, to find turkeys. Um, so, yeah, come April, May, I'll be headed over the mountains looking for turkeys. And So interesting. I can just imagine wild turkeys just out there, just gobbling. Now, I'm most excited. Actually, my wife and I had a really cool experience this last, uh, was it spring? Yeah, last spring where... Um, you know, I bought this little like pop-up blind thing and it's like, it's like a little tent that you throw on the ground and pop up and it has a little window you can drop down so you can sneak an arrow out the window or whatever. But so we have these little chairs, little triangle tripod chairs. And I we're feel you. I feel you. The, the beach pull-up foldy chairs. I yeah. Think. So we're sitting in our chairs in the blind and, and you know, we leave it oh dark 30 and and hike this stuff into the to the top of this bowl and we're sitting on the top of this bowl and um watching the sun come up and you know the sun's just coming over your wife is a g for doing this because i know we'll be struggling to get me out of bed just to go skiing <laughs> so like she's a g for doing this <laughs> so okay so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to expand on the story a little bit because you said that but so we watch the sun come up over the over the ridge line, over the horizon line right and we can see forever it's just it this was like it's just over the eastern slope of the mountains but you know um 
where it's still more wooded and timbered, but um, like pine forest. Um, anyways, sun comes up over the ridge. It's just beautiful, just spectacular. And then the turkey lights off, you know, thunder in the distance. And we're excited, right? Like, because we're seeing the sun come up, we hear turkeys below us. And that's a feat in and of itself. Like, just just getting yourself to where you hear a turkey in the woods, like, I, we felt accomplished. Like, yes, there is something here. They do exist. Yeah, that's what we said. Um, but no, so what you said about her, you know, being a G is like, she was pregnant, like, I want to say she was like three months pregnant and like really dealing with the morning sickness. And so she an even bigger G when you say that I'm like, she really, I want to give her a fist bump. I'm like, she a different breed. That is one <laughs> special lady. She is. She is for sure. And so that morning we went out at Oh dark 30. Like I said, saw the sun come up. We heard a couple turkeys in this, in this, um, bowl and, um, we had to check out of the Airbnb that day. It was our last day. So we sat there for a couple hours, did some calling for the turkeys. We actually heard uh, turkeys come come by us. We didn't see them, um, but I heard, I heard um, clucking and purring that, that hens do. And so we knew we were very much like in the game, but we had to go check out of the Airbnb. And so we did that. We left for two hours went and checked out of the Airbnb and went back with the thought that, um, cause in the spring you can only harvest toms. Um, and, uh, What's a tom? or, sorry, not toms. You can only harvest male birds. I shouldn't have said that. Um, a tom okay, okay. would, a tom would be like a more mature male bird. A Jake would be a less mature male bird. And so Who again, back... these birds, Tom and Jake, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, going back to the regulation thing like that's these are decisions that have to, that you have to make like in the moment like you need to be able to tell a male turkey from a female turkey and i think someone might overlook that that detail like if if they hadn't thought about like what it's like to go turkey hunting they wouldn't maybe think about like how do you tell the difference between a male one and a female one cuz that took me a minute um but um Anyways, we had this thought that we'd heard these male birds gobbling down in the bowl. They might have had hens with them um, at that time in the morning, but maybe they've gone and checked on their hens and maybe already bred them or whatever. And now come late morning, they're looking for, you know, uh, another gal to chat up. And so we were going to we're gonna go set back <laughs> up and see if Turkey's we could. He's flirting. I'm dying. Okay. And see if we could be the other gal that he wanted to chat up. And so we, went, <laughs> we go back out, like trying to be the side chick. Yeah, yeah, barbecue sauce. So we set up like 10 a.m. and around 11 a.m. I'm doing turkey calls with a mouth call, and he answers back. And I call again. Babe, and he what's back. up? I'm here yeah. looking for Papa. He's <laughs> like, he's like maybe like 200 yards downhill of us, and very much sounds like he's, you know, he's interested and he's headed headed our way. And um, I looked over at her, and it, oh, it's so actually, I didn't at first. I just heard the sound, and like it's really quiet. We're trying to be really quiet, with exception to the turkey calls. And I hear this like like sound and I look over and she's like like salivating and like swan like just green and I'm like hun how are you doing like are you are you okay and like like yeah she trying to keep it together <laughs> yeah she didn't she was not feeling good but she hadn't said a word like hadn't said like hey I'm like hey we can go like it's okay well let's go get some ice cream you know do the thing and so we did we packed up and we went and got got ice cream and when we got there she was like she got her um like mint cookies and cream you know uh cold stone her and pregnancy at, cravings i feel yeah you. And she, I about feel the you. only thing she could eat at that point and she looked at me and she was like 
Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, she was like, yeah. I'm just holding out here for my man so he could catch a turkey. <laughs> Trying to keep the vomit down. You know, strong family. <laughs> I must say, like, you are honestly incredible. Like, I ever since I met you, I know you're, like, absolutely the sweetest. But I'm curious, like, how is it now being a dad? Like, I remember when we met, you were non-daddy stand, and now you're a daddy. Like, ah. Oh man, um, it's like every everything is changed and like the best way, right? But also in the craziest way. And basically, it's like all the cliches are true. Like if I were gonna try and describe it to someone, it's like name a cliche and it's that. You know what I mean? Like like accurate. They were not lying. We yeah. don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> You don't sleep or, you know, you didn't know you could love someone like the, you know, like all the like gushy, like cliche things. Like it's very much Aww. true. Yeah. So, no, Aww. it's been it's been great. It really has. But you're also like a papa of like chickens. Did you get a bunny? I forgot if you did get the bunny. No, we decided that we had enough things to try and take care of for the moment. Um, so, so what are we- all the house pets? Let's hear it. We have three dogs, five chickens, and a newborn baby. Sweet. Are the chickens producing eggs on the regular? They are. Um, they do about an egg a day. Um, That's so cool. It kind of varies. Like sometimes, some days I'll go out there and there'll be three eggs there. Um, but but yeah, I, I'd say on average it's like an an egg a day. That's so cool. That's so cool. I guess like what's the hardest part of raising chickens? Because I've heard the coyotes be out there trying to snatch them up. <laughs> yes. Uh, you got to hide your, hide your wife, hide your kids. Um, hide your chickens. <laughs> hide, hide your hands, hide your chicks. Um, but uh, no, what is the hardest? Um, they're pretty easy. The hardest thing is just keeping the coop clean. Um, yeah, they... They, they need poop a lot. Oh my gosh. Issue? Yeah, they do. Um <laughs> and so and that's something that is not the best as far as like we've been letting them roam, letting them rain. So like every morning I'll open the door on the coop and let them go do their chicken thing and hunt for worms. Um and then uh every night I'll lock it up so the coyotes don't get them or whatever. But um but they yeah they poop all over the front porch or the shed or whatever they get into they poop all over it so um but yeah that i mean it's just keeping the coop nice and clean so that they have a nice uh chips for laying eggs in and you know they can make a nice nice bed because uh, if you don't they'll find somewhere in your yard to do it and then it's like easter egg hunt time so. oh wow interesting interesting I guess yeah. I'm curious, like, because I know we didn't touch on this too much, but I like as a hunter, I guess like how do you deal with sort of like the the media's or just like the world's perception of hunters? And I guess I'm curious, like, how is it like as a hunter when you do see people that make hunters have a bad name? Mm. Uh, that's the, I feel like that is two loaded questions, but um, so. Okay, I I almost touched on this just already in our conversation, but um, because you mentioned, you know, you gave the the vegans a warning, like, um, beware, you know, don't cry beware. yet. Okay, it's, like it's all good. Just breathe. So, especially in the industry that I in in the state that I live in, in the industry that I work in, I feel like it's almost a bad word at work, like hunting right they're like uh, oh my god non-liberal if he, you say hunter they're like ooh, he's mm. one of those no I, it, it there's genuine concern there like i really had to give some thought to whether i would tell co-workers that i i like bow hunting or whether i would do this podcast right um no i think like, you're dope um, love it there's some concern there and but I think that, how do I say this? So here's, uh, so my beliefs are like this. I 
I personally, when I'm trying to like make decisions about this, and I actually already talked about how in that pursuit, your admiration for the animal grows, right? So there's a lot of reflection that happens around, especially we have like a lot of uh, deer that live in our yard. Um, so there's a daily connection to, to these animals. And so there's a constant evaluation that goes on in my mind of like, is, is this, is this what I want to do? Right? Like, do I, do I want to take that animal? Like it, let's be honest, take that animal's life so that we've talked about the meat, like that's nice. That's great. But to get there, you have to take that animal's life. And so there's an evaluation that goes on there. And where I've landed is that we look to the natural world to learn, to inform everything that we do, right? Like I work in computer science. The computer's born out of observation of the natural world and harnessing and synthesizing that understanding, right? And so I look to the natural world and what I see is like two things. I I see complex systems. Um, just I see design personally, and I won't. We don't have to go too deep down that rabbit no, hole. No, I love that. Uh, yeah, I'm like but, I love that. <laughs> but I see complex systems, and and what I see is a blueprint for a couple different ways that that this is done in the natural world. Like whether you want to whether you want to be a meat eater or not, like whether you want to be an herbivore or con- carnivore omnivore that's totally your choice but it is done in the natural world there are meat eaters there are carnivores there is a blueprint in the natural world for eating other animals on on the chain and so when i see that when i see there's these three blueprints there's the bear there's the omnivore there's the deer there's the herbivore and there's the wolf maybe as a carnivore I feel you. I feel There's you. Not a, yeah. Yeah. But um I look at those three blueprints and I and I say well, where where do I fit in? And I don't feel that I am that I line up with the rabbit or the other prey animals. And I don't you know, I feel like I'm probably most closely related to the bear. And if I were going to have an issue hunting an animal, it might be the bear. That's that's probably the one that I waffle a little bit on um, just be, because of that. But I just I fall back to that and and I fall back to there's there's a blueprint in the natural world. This is a natural process and I'm OK with it. And I, I've made that decision. I, I'm OK with that. And so I'm I'm willing to take that animal and provide that nutrient dense protein for my family <clears throat> but and i'm fine with people that choose the the vegan blueprint and they say you know this is right for me i'm totally fine with with what uh, whatever other people's beliefs are i'm not going to try and push mine on someone else um i'm fine with that where what i take issue with is people that are omnivores that do eat meat but don't condone hunting and i have an issue with that because i feel like that's a you're just disconnected i i feel like and and it happens like right we've through progression like we have this convenience you can go to the store you can buy the meat you can go to the mcdonald's you can buy the chicken nuggets but don't forget that somebody killed 20 chickens and made a slurry for your nuggets. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, um, I'm, exactly. I, said it, I said it that way on purpose, but I think that, I think people get disconnected from it. I think that there are people that eat meat and don't condone hunting <clears throat> and are losing sight of the fact just through disconnection because they're just no longer connected to having to hunt and forage and, take the life so that they can eat. I think that as a meat eater, the most ethical thing that you can do would be to go harvest an animal and do it for yourself one time and just say like, yeah, I I think that would be the most ethical thing that you could do as a meat eater. So I agree. If you, and there's, there's an argument I understand, like I recognize that there's an argument to be made. Like I, I made the natural world blueprint, 
print argument. I recognize that there's an argument to be made for us being at the top of the chain and progression and maybe evolution, and maybe we're supposed to rise above or something. Um, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see the way, I don't see the way forward. What I see is a natural process that, and I guess I've made that decision for, for me and mine. I must say, i I definitely like applaud you for being authentically you and it like pains me that you feel like any sort of like angst about just sharing who you are especially mm. at work because to me it's like everyone's individuality is what makes us great and like the, the fact that people feel in any way that they have to hide any part of themselves because people are so quick to judge like it really breaks my heart which is why I felt like it was so important to have you on the podcast because I want people to know like yeah, of course, there are some asshole hunters out there and we should call those people out. But there mm -hmm. are people that do this not to be an asshole. Like they do this because this is just their way of life. And mm -hmm. like, I think like if we were trying to figure out how to make the world a meatless eating world, we should really look to India because they have been hitting it out the park, you know, forever. But I do think like there's a balance to it. And I like I personally, as a meat eater, I hate having to touch raw meat. I know my problems and I definitely think like I'm a huge hypocrite because I like buy my food from the grocery store and I don't actually go out and hunt my animals myself and I take that privilege you know what I mean with me and I feel like most people will not even own up to the fact that that is a form of privilege and that actually at the end of the day like that on some level is crippling us because like now I'll say if you can't depend on that system anymore, what do you do? How do you mm -hmm. feed yourself? You don't have an answer. And to me, like that is not freedom. You know, that's not what actual freedom looks like. I guess like, is there any, like, are you on the gram? Can people find you on the internet? They can. Yes. Um, I, I think I have like three followers or something, but um, that's yeah, all no. good. You'll have four yeah. today because okay. I will add you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, uh, pnw dot never. Never look it up if you need to. It's all cute. Trying to remember, I think it's pnw dot never dot summer, but I couldn't remember if never summer was one word or not. Okay, I'll add it in the description so the people can find you if they want to. That's so cool. Well, thank you, Stan, for coming on the pod. Like, it's such a pleasure. Like, I love talking to you at work. So I was like, I need to get you on here. I need people to know so they can stop giving hate hunters so much flack. Because you guys are actually dope. No, the, the feeling is definitely mutual. And I love working with you, too. And, you know, it's just, it's it's easy. It's, it's fun to have a conversation. So it was... Thank you for having me.